Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. And we're off. I gotta stop opening it that way. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Start over. This is Father Sean. <laughs> Father John. Good to be with you. Yeah, you as well. Happy Sunday. Here we are. Happy uh, fifth Sunday in ordinary time. Seven feet off of Sixth uh, Avenue, as usual, where my abode is. That's right. Poor homeless chap laying across the door. And I had to step over him. I think, there's a, I think there's a, when I watched you step over, I was like, isn't there a parable about the, the priest <laughs> and the Pharisee kind of stepping over the Samaritan, something like that? That's so, right. No. He was asleep. We have a, yeah, we have quite a homeless problem down here, um, but... We have the Missionaries of Charity next door, and they are the best. They take care of everybody. So, But anyways, you're coming off a big weekend. I know. I'll be honest. I'm exhausted. Big weekend. Um, I did a lot this weekend. First of all, I went to the DU hockey game which on Friday night, which you can't pass that opportunity Against up. Against Western Michigan? Western Michigan. Yeah. It was actually an epic finish. Um, Western Michigan, it was, they were down 1-3, to three, so DU was winning 3-1. Western Michigan pulls their goalie with four minutes left. Four Whoa. minutes left. Whoa. Pull their goalie. They score. So then it's 3-2. No, it wasn't. Goalie interference. They call it back. Goalie interference. Goalie interference on Western Michigan. So then, well, actually they score. And then uh, David Carl, the head coach, who's a Lord's parishioner, uh, he challenged it. You can challenge now. And okay. so he challenged it. They went back to the booth. And yeah, it was goalie interference. Um, so then they, they call it back. Well, then there's three minutes left on the clock. They pull the goalie again, of course. And then they score. With one minute, 30 seconds left, so now it's 3-2, and then Western Michigan, could they just couldn't get the puck back. But they played better 6-on-5 than they did the whole game. Wow. It's like, that's what they just needed to do the whole game. That's exciting. So, It's the greatest sport, man. Greatest sport. Anyways, uh, that doesn't matter, because what really, <laughs> what really matters was we had our school gala last night, which was a party. Oh, yeah. Sounds so, like it was quite the party. Quite the party. Even the, the pastor himself made a short little appearance during his uh, sabbatical. So That's right. Father Brian on sabbatical, showing up. Um, I, Father Sean sent me a photo. He's been working on this triptych with a local artist who works at the school. Um, maybe we can have Katie put that up on. I mean, it, absolutely stunning. Can you talk about it? Yeah, this is actually kind of the topic. So, so we're already going into it. We're already going into it. <laughs> I have two topics for today. One, yeah, I guess we're just going to dive in. All right. Unless you want to talk about anything else. Uh, yeah, we got something else to talk about. <laughs> we need to follow up with everybody about the Benedict 100. The Benedict 100. So we were just chatting before we recorded here, and I was like, did we talk about this? And I'm you pretty said sure we did. We introduced sure we did. it, but we had recorded prior to the lottery recap. The Benedict 100 is uh, a 100 mile uh, backcountry ski from Aspen to Vale, mm-hmm. which happens over six days. And you get five, five, nights. five nights, which you get five huts, all access. You pick the days. This is, we do these hut trips every year. You've heard about it if you listen to the podcast, backcountry skiing trips. But this is like the mother of all mothers. I mean, it is like, insane and they don't even really advertise we didn't know about it and and then we kind of threw our names in and then what happened and then i got a phone call on martin luther king jr feast day or or not feast day whatever it's called holiday and uh i don't answer because i don't recognize the number it just says aspen colorado i'm like i don't know anyone in aspen colorado 
And then uh, voicemail, I listened to it later. It's just like, congratulations, Sean. You have won the Benedict 100. Congratulations. We are so happy and excited. Please call and pick your dates. Congratulations. This is like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory level. Like one ticket. Yeah. One person every year gets this. And it's insane. It is insane. Now we have to do it. Now we have to do it. 100 (laughs) miles, six days. What is that? Like 18 miles a day. So, and it's a lot of elevation. It's like two to four thousand feet of. So you just go up and down, up and down, up and down. The way this works, if you're not familiar with backcountry skiing, is that we have skis that have a binding that you can unlock, so you can walk walk mode. Uh, boots that are a little more adjustable, and then you put skins on the bottom, and that it's like a little carpet on one side and adhesive on the other. So it just sticks on the bottom of your ski. You go uphill, take off the skins, ski down. It's gonna be epic. It is gonna be epic. Yeah, yeah. We gotta start training, though. We gotta start training. Yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, so that's that's the 2025 adventure. So stay tuned on how that comes. I'm sure it'll be a wild ride. It is we gotta get ride. we gotta get other people to do it with us, though. That's the other challenge. Is everybody's kind of who we've talked to. Everyone's married. Everyone has kids. These kids, man, Everyone's they're always getting in the way of our, you know. Yeah, John Fraker, I saw him last night. He came to our gala and he's just like, oh my gosh, the Benedict 100? Are you so excited or what? He's like, I'm totally going to join you guys. And he's just like, no, I can't. I have dad bod. <laughs> like, well, that's Fraker. one thing. It's one thing to have kids. It's another thing to have a dad bod. <laughs> the latter is inexcusable. But yeah, we'll see. I think people are realizing this is kind of like a chance in a lifetime thing. Once in a lifetime opportunity. But the funny thing is that Father Sean is the self-admittedly guy who never quote unquote <laughs> wins anything. I never win anything. Never win the lottery. When was the last time you did anything? You you when okay. was the last time you bought a lottery ticket? Yeah, I've never bought a lottery okay. ticket. What I'm referring to is you you used to play hockey. Remember those hockey tournaments? You your coach, your head coach would give you like a lottery ticket, uh, uh, whatever those are called, circus tickets or whatever. And then um You'd go to the the pro shop or whatever, and you'd say, "Is this the winning ticket?" And like these big tournaments are hosted by you know one rink or two rinks, and there'd be twenty teams in the tournament or whatever. Everyone, but I would never win, and there would always be like two kids on my team that won, and I'd just get like so jealous. Like, how come he gets the Bowers whatever, and how come he gets new skates and he gets that sick jersey? And I was like, never won anything. Yeah, never that, won. That's true. I I grew up uh, with a younger brother who was the lucky kid. So I think from a very young age, you just you learn that there are just certain people in the universe who just win everything. That and my brother was like, we were living in Chicago, so he was probably five years old. Um, and I don't know how we wrote this down, um, but he gets a phone. My dad gets a phone call that night um, at my parents' house, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Can we speak to Steve Nepple?" <laughs> my dad's like. He's in kindergarten, but I guess you can. Uh, they're like, well, he just won a car phone uh, at Sears or wherever we were today. Phone. So somehow we got a somebody filled out the raffle thing, some person for him, put his name down and phone number, and uh, he won. This is back in the days of car phones. <laughs> car so phones. yeah, he's he's always winning stuff. Um, That's and hilarious. Always breaking stuff as well. So I guess it all kind of evens out. So. Well, yeah, congrats to you for winning something for the first time in your life. Uh, it's going to be epic. I can't say that anymore, though. I can't say I never win anything. Now you definitely cannot say that anymore. Yeah. This, is, this will be the trip of the lifetime. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. We're very, very excited. We love it. It's funny, though, you, get, you talk to people about the huts, and like, I was talking to the careers, uh, and even the BART lines, and they're kind of like, well, what's it like inside? I'm like, well, no running water, no electricity. They're like, why do you, why? Why do you want to do this? I was like... <laughs> It's amazing. It's the yeah. best place ever. But I, not everybody, it's not always their style. So yeah, But it's great. You get to cook out. You get to hang out. Especially in the winter. They're hard to access. In the summer, you can just drive 
straight yeah. to them. So they're perfect for the winter if you just want to get away and um, have a kind of a rustic camping trip with no cell phone service, get away from, disconnect, unplug. Yep. And Steve Sayo's in. We got Steve Sayo's in. We got a third at least. That's right. So That's right. It might just be the three of us. And um, we're, we're going to get a crew to carry our food. But <laughs> other yeah. than that. Yeah, we got to figure that out. Anyways. So congrats to you. Congrats to us. Congrats to you, too. And You're to still Steve. young. You're starting your 30s strong here. Father Sean turns 30 in uh, June, which he will probably, if I was going to take a bet on it, uh, attempt to sabotage his own birthday because you're a birthday sabotager. But here's the problem. He did this. So I met Sean. I don't Sean, think I can this year. I met, I met Sean when he was 17, and he turned 18 while we were in Switzerland with 37 <laughs> people. And... He didn't tell anybody. I should have known, but I I didn't really know you. 18 to 19, actually. Oh, that was it's your 19th, 19th birthday? birthday? Okay. Yeah. Turns 19, doesn't tell anybody all day. Day passes. <laughs> and then he makes us feel guilty, of course, after this like, no, classic. No, it was funny. It was funny. I didn't make anyone feel guilty. It was funny because, uh, was it Catherine? I can't remember who it was, but someone decided to just like joke, sing happy birthday to someone else in the uh, Gandakuta. And then... Someone was just like, wait, isn't Father Sean's or Sean's birthday close to here? Kyla said that. And then they were like, when's your birthday? And I was like, oh. Yesterday. No, it was today. Oh. I was like, and then they felt, everyone felt bad. So classic. The young chach. But I can't do that this year because guess what? My birthday falls on association gathering. Oh, that's the worst. It's the worst. I will get back from the Camino on June 18th, I believe. And then Friday the 21st is in... Association, Association Gathering, this is a Companions Monthly event, affectionately known as ASCATH. ASCATH, that's right. So it's just shorter, you know. Association <laughs> Gathering, it's a long ways to say it. So. Yep, all right, well, good. 30th and then off to your 30s with the uh, with the Benedict 100 to initiate a new decade. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. All right, ready? Yeah, should we dive in? Let's do it. The two topics for today, one I want to talk about, Our Lady of Lords, um, a little bit about her, because her feast day is on Sunday which is our patronal feast day at our parish. And I was praying with this this week. This is kind of nice too, is that instead of celebrating the sixth Sunday in ordinary time, we get to celebrate our feast day. Uh, since it gets transferred, it trumps it. And I know how much everyone's looking forward to celebrate the sixth Sunday in ordinary time, but we're super pumped. We don't have to. So do you want to start with, uh, and then the other topic is Mary Mother of the Eucharist uh, and that painting, and then I want to talk a little bit about that and that process. So do you want to start with Lourdes? Oh, we got to talk about Mary. Or Mary Mother of the Eucharist. Let's talk about Lourdes. I'm pulling okay. up a book that I'm reading right now because I have something that might pair into it, but go ahead and keep talking. Great. Yeah, I, I feel uh, honored to be talking to a Mariologist about Mary. Please. I feel underqualified. So, you are full of it. <laughs> keep talking. Um, so let me just start off. Uh, St. Bernadette, right, the kind of 14 year old peasant girl from the uh, hill country of France, um, uneducated. She um, one day is wondering, wandering uh, kind of by this river. She's out and about and uh, she begins to hear this voice and she sees this uh, great light coming out of the grotto across the river. Uh, Mary dressed in white with a blue sash around her waist with golden roses at her feet. And as she's there, she begins to converse. And all she really knows how to do is she takes her rosary from her pocket and just begins to pray the rosary. She doesn't know what else to do. And she goes to her priest. Eventually, it gets word back to the bishop um, that this peasant girl, uneducated, uh, Bernadette sees Mary, has an apparition of Mary. And classic you know, kind of 
um, doubting, this is 1858, by the way, uh, why would Mary appear to you? Why would Mary appear to you? There's no way that this is, that this is Mary. And then so the bishop says, next time this happens, I want you to go back and ask her, who are you? Who are you? Identify yourself. So 1858. Mary goes back the next day, and I believe um, this this particular apparition was on, I don't think it was on February 11th. I'll have to double check the date here. But she goes back. She sees Our Lady there. She pulls out her rosary and starts praying again. And then she asks, um, who are you? And Our Lady of Lords in the grotto, again, the blue sash, golden roses, says, um, I wish I could speak French, but right. I am the Immaculate Conception. It's actually not even in French. It's in a local dialect. No that's kidding. kind of like half Basque okay. and French. It was a very kind of, yeah, specific, her, her specific language. Yeah. So then Mary says, I am the Immaculate Conception. And Bernadette, again, uneducated, illiterate, doesn't know what that means. She goes back to the bishop and says, Mary or this person, this woman identified herself as I am the Immaculate Conception. And this bishop was absolutely shocked. Like, what does that mean? And Bernadette goes, I don't know what that means, but that's what she identified herself as. And the reason why this was so interesting is because what happened four years or earlier, 1854? There was a dogma proclaimed by Pius IX. That's right. Pio Nono, 1854, on December 8th, December 7th, I think December 7th, on the eve, uh, that Mary is immaculately conceived. And so for four years, they're kind of wrestling with this in the church of like, is Mary actually immaculately conceived? Is she? Um, what does that mean? How does that look like? How can Mary be conceived without sin when Christ had not died yet? Christ hadn't, you know, conquered and, and forgiven all sin. So how could Mary possibly be immaculately conceived? Uh, and so when Mary appears, I am the immaculate conception to an uneducated uh, peasant girl from the hill country of, of, of France, Lourdes, France. Um, it was shocking. And this bishop was just like, how can this be true? Well, it must be true because Bernadette has no idea what this possibly means. And it just kind of all solidified everything. Um, the apparitions continue, I think, for one or two more days, uh, 14 days total, if I remember correctly. Um, and then there's a miraculous spring that pops up out of Lourdes. And so Lourdes now has the connection, as most people probably know, with healing. So a lot of people have gone and traveled to Lourdes bathe in the uh, miraculous well there for the sake of healing, for the sake of asking for that petition. So one of the things I've been praying with leading up to her, her feast day this coming Sunday, February 11th, is uh, healing. Like, what kind of healing can the Lord do through our parish at Lourdes? I forgot to tell you this. Um, I don't know if you read the news today, but uh, Taylor Swift has now taken February 11th as her feast day. So with joke. the Super Bowl, yes. uh, you know, so I'm sorry. It's just... Classic. It was a nice run for yeah. you guys at the parish. Nice run at Lords, 1858. Because you're, you're a Swifty at heart, so. That's right. No, no, no. Not the case. Um, yeah, this is great. I'm impressed you just memorized all that information and just kind of spewed it off. <laughs> or did you just make all that up? I, I, ju I just made all that up. That's no. impressive. I, I'm reading a book on 19th century theology. Um, it, the book is great. It's by Father Joseph Carollo. who's a wonderful Jesuit in Rome who I knew. Engaging the Church Fathers in 19th Century Catholicism, hmm. the patristic legacy of the Scuola Romana. So it's like a paragraph long. It's just the same publisher who did my book, so it's one of these titles that you, most people don't get through the title when they read the book. <laughs> Anyways, I'm doing a review on it for a, a theological journal, and I've really enjoyed it. And this is Father Carolla's specialty is the Church Fathers, hmm. so the first early centuries. But there was a specific revival that happened in the 19th century with the Church Fathers. So theology 
cultural there was cultural revolution in the 19th century it kind of paved the way for all the destruction of the 20th it was all there all the dynamite was kind of laid beforehand and there was a couple of really key figures who helped to engage that cultural revolution but also really deepened our theological vision which led to the second Vatican council and to these things mm-hmm. um, but he makes a note on this is uh just made me think of this to kind of situate our lady of lords it's like how did everything get so marian all of a sudden mm-hmm. and it's a lot of it's because of what happened in the 19th century why we have this deep devotion and and really focus on mary that happened in the last century and even to our present day this is what he writes for the catholic faithful the real 19th century was an unmistakable unmistakably unmist- marian moment it began in earnest on the night of July 18, 1830, when the Immaculate Virgin Mary appeared to the, the young novice Catherine Labore of the Daughters of Charity's Mother House in Rue de Bac in Paris. Mm. So 1830. That same day, 40 years later, on July 18, 1870, the Catholic Episcopate gathered in Council Pius IX and solemnly declared papal infallibility, and then, which was kind of a Marian papal anniversary. Okay, And then he says, uh, within the middle of that, you have 19th century Marian apparitions that began at Rudebach, but they continued in uh, to um, Girard and Calvet uh, at La Salette, which I've not been to La Salette, but mm. Kelsey Buckingham said it was her favorite on the pilgrimage. Interesting. Okay. Father Randy Dollins led a pilgrimage. So another Marian apparition, less well-known, La Salette, uh, 1846, Bernadette Subaru in Lourdes, 1858, uh, and then to another French um village named Pontmain in 1871. This all concluded with the silent apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary along with St. Joseph and St. John the Evangelist in adoration before the Lamb in the Irish village of Knock in That's 1879. Right. Our Lady of Knock, a good Irish. The joke is that uh, why did Our Lady of Loch- Knock is the only apparition where Mary didn't say anything. And the joke is the Irish didn't let her get a word yeah. in. That's right. So just kept talking at her. Shout out Joan O'Connor. At the center of these five Marian decades stands the 1854 dogmatic definition of the Immaculate Conception of the Mother of God. So his whole point is to say, between 1830 and 1879, you have just kind of an unbelievable outpouring of, like Mary is just manifesting and expressing her message uh, in a way that is kind of unprecedented historically. Um, And so the 19th century really was a time of that. Dogmas are only defined when they're violated. Correct, yeah. Remember remember studying that? Yep. Um, so why why did Pius IX declare Mary the Immaculate Conception? That I don't know. What was violated? Well, this is uh, that's the question. Yeah. My theory on it, and I don't want to diverge from the topic here, but it, it is important because Lourdes was really the kind of apparitional confirmation of the dogma, mm-hmm. and, it, and it really kind of developed it. I think that the Marian movement and the Marian dogmas, Macca conception and the assumption, were not directly violated like a heresy, so to speak. They were they were certainly theologically debated, correct? Um, historically, uh, especially the Macca conception. But um, I just think modernity is anti-feminine. Mm-hmm. I think that it's anti-Marian, which is interesting because it's the feminist movement, right? which happens in the late 1960s and, and 1968. So, but, but really prior to that, you have this kind of rationalistic Cartesian mm-hmm. and really mechanistic uh, vision of reality that's purely masculine. It's just, it, it, the, and you think about how technology operates. It's, it's just the masculinization of, of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's all about mastery over nature, um, autonomy, and um, 
you know, self-creation, these things, it, it, there's no receptivity. There's nothing feminine about this. So it's not surprising that at the, as modernity is collapsing, there's this kind of feminist revolution against, but unfortunately what they're, they're not marrying. It's, um, it's just making women into men. Sure. So yeah. not to, not to diverge. No, there, I think but, that's, but, I think that's a good point because I didn't mean to jump the gun on the feminist movement. Cause it, cause I also want to tie in, um, the next Marian apparition that was defined, which the which was the assumption in 1956, 1950, 1950, um, dogmatically defined that Mary is assumed right body and soul when she when she completes her earthly life, she's assumed body and soul into heaven. And again, what was violated? It's not like um, people were denying that, but I think with that one, it has to do more with hope. Uh, on the back. Um, after the the two world wars, after a lot of the Cold War going on, after a lot of conflict in the kind of the world stage, uh, is there hope anymore? We just saw the the bloodiest century in history, the bloodiest wars in history. How how do we move from this? And the assumption is a message of hope that heaven is real, and that when Mary completes her earth, earthly life, like her body and soul is brought into heaven fully, right? right? And so I think. Uh, the church responds in modernity, in post-modernity to say, no, like there's real things to hope for. There's still real things to believe in. There's still real things to, uh, to, to believe in all that because, right, the church at her core is Marian, is feminine. Yep, right on. And the assumption really does complete the doctrine, the Immaculate Conception that they hold that just, it, it, a lot of it, if you did want to go into something, I guess it would be grace and nature mm. and kind of the debate there of like, how does oh, grace actually operate and what does it actually do? What are its kind of completion, these kind of things, but that's more technical and nuanced. So next topic, next, next, next topic. Um, so yeah, our lady of Lords, her feast day, February 11th, Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> Taylor Swift Sunday, whatever you want to call it. Um, but what a gift that Mary comes and appears brings her message of healing and hope and brings her message to poor peasant uh, Bernadette. And so maybe a couple thoughts here uh, again, just one, the idea of uh, we all have, we're all in need of healing, you know? And so that's what I've been praying with as uh, acting pastor of Our Lady of Lords with my uh, pastor on sabbatical. Um, how does Mary, how does the Lord want to bring healing through the patron of Our Lady of Lords uh, to the parish, to the, the greater Denver area. And then secondly, what I love praying with this as well is Mary doesn't appear to, uh, and God doesn't come to those who are um, proud, right? He, he lifts up the lowly and he humbles the proud. And so God appears, uh, Mary appears to a poor peasant girl, someone who's uneducated. And oftentimes we think we can like to your point of like um, modernity and just like engineering our way through life through technology or whatever, like I can control God, I can manipulate these things, technology, uh, but we can't, right? God always comes to those who are humble, right? So I think like I, I can figure out God. I don't know. Once I'm humble, then God will come to me. Humble and also one of the things that always struck me about the the messaging, like what Mary was actually communicating to Bernadette was around poverty. Mm-hmm which they're obviously intimately connected. Like mm-hmm. humility is just a, a recognition of one's poverty, like of this, which means dependence and uh, creatureliness and these kind of things, knowing oneself in relationship to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a kind of like ontological poverty, but she's also very clear about like material poverty mm-hmm. and kind of saying, and we kind of forget that part because we love like the healing, sure. but the healing happens in tandem with, you know, letting go. 
She doesn't come to Allie Love from, do you know Allie Love, Peloton instructor? No, <laughs> like, like to your point about, I don't know if she's proud or humble, I, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, the simplest and poorest of people are always the, the, the chosen messengers of Mary's message because she embodies that completely in her, in her own self and in her own fiat. Mm. But when you start to make your life into a fiat, which means become Marian in your existence, when you start saying, be it done unto me, you do render yourself poor. Mm. You don't have the, they're false riches, yep. the resentments, the judgments, the rancor, the, the, the things that we hold on the to. The control. The control. Yep. Um, we render ourselves powerless when we kind of, when the hands open, so to speak, and we say, be it done. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that really becomes, uh, it all kind of ties together really deeply in in what happens at Lord's. So that's a message to you, Acting Pastor. Yeah. Keep your people poor. Keep them poor. That's right. Keep and most of money. them are because you're, they're paying for 16 kids to go to Our Lady Lord's Catholic School. That's right. And that's why we had a gala last night. And that's why we had a gala. Yeah. So to the second point then, so Bree and I, Bree Schultze, uh, who is, uh, she was a school teacher. She actually is a full-time artist now. Uh, so she's no longer teaching at the school. But uh, last year we collaborated on this crucifix. We've talked about that here. This year um, we built a triptych. So I built the frame out of walnut, uh, stained it, um, put some hinges on it and whatnot. And then uh, the center panel uh, is Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. And then the left and right panels on the triptych are two angels, seraphim, adoring um, the Eucharist and Mary there, obviously adoring our Lord, but in union with Mary. She painted them on something and then it was adhered to the... So she painted it. So I made a cutout, essentially. Um, think of it like cabinets. I made, uh, I just bought cabinet router bits, essentially making uh, a cabinet and then you just slide the panel in on of the painting. Oh, sweet. So she painted on MDF uh, and then I just routed a, a quarter inch um, whatever it's called, dado cutter or whatever through so that we can just drop it in and then glue everything together on top. It's, it's impressive. And I'm always impressed because as you know, I have no practical skills, <laughs> zero. So I'm like, wow, what kind of bit did you just say? A dado what? Like, well, dado is a type of cut from a bit. I have to get seminaries like, help me like replace light bulbs in this way. <laughs> and I, you know, if something breaks, I'm like, just sell it. We'll buy it. Something in it. They're like, no, we can fix that. So that's right. How many priests does it take to change a light bulb? But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I hope that we can put the image up at least. On we can the, put it up. Yeah. We'll text it to Katie. Yeah. On Instagram, including in the post. It is. It, it really is one of the most like captivating images I, I've ever seen. Just Mary's posture and prayer. She's, she's, She's reverently kind of looking at the bus sacrament is present in the middle of the painting. Mm. And, um, you know, in a world where everything is reduced to power and it's all about power struggle and privilege and, you know, men, why do men get to be distribute the Eucharist? Why do they get to be, uh, why can't girls be altar servers? I mean, we have to deal with, you don't, but at your parish, but, um, you know, a lot of times it's all that kind of like who gets to hold everything, who gets to do everything. And then this posture is just the great, antithesis of that that kind of modern spirit because mary's just reverencing it yeah she's just reverencing it but she's she's more deeply embodying it through that act of reverence than she is by actually doing something by distributing the body yeah mary was not an extraordinary minister of holy communion at the last supper as we know as we know i'm not saying that's wrong (laughs) this is not like a thing for me but just to point out the marian you know yeah it's one of total receptivity um yeah i love how brie painted this um it's actually really cool the the chalice that she painted there is the 
chalice that my parents gifted me, which wow. is cool. So she incorporated that. The Eucharist over it with IHS on top of the Eucharist. But she painted it right next to Mary's womb, right in front of Mary's womb. And she did that intentionally. Um, I don't know if this is Let true. See it. I don't know if this is true. I would love your comments on this, Mariologist John, uh, Father John. But do you think Mary would have ever looked at the Eucharist and as a reversal of Adam and Eve, looked at the Eucharist, who's her son and, and who's the new Adam, so the new Eve and the new Adam, and said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Mary looked at oh. Mary looked at the Eucharist. You can imagine St. John giving Mary the Eucharist. Mary looked at that and said, this is truly bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I've never thought about that, but that's, that's, a, that's a deep insight. Mary is the new Eve, reflecting yeah. on the Eucharistic body of Christ, the new Adam. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, Something to ponder. I don't know if that's heresy, but I've been thinking about that last couple of weeks. No, it's... Uh, that's that's really a, a very striking thing, to, yeah. Consideration. The only, uh, can I tell you the one thing I don't like about the uh, triptych? Why you put urine Vitold's heads on the seraphim? That was just a bit. <laughs> I'm just joking. He didn't do that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> and Father your, Brian's your bearded face on a seraphim that would look very weird. Um, Vitold, I could see it. This is the other Polish character, but um, yeah, Mary, Mary in the Eucharist. I. More and more, this is this is becoming the heart of where we have to go as a church. Mm. I was given a talk to a bunch of people who work in parishes. It was a diocesan thing. Yeah, my um, employees said they loved it. Oh, that's good. I enjoyed uh, enjoyed having them there. I kind of thought I was giving one talk. It was like four talks, and it was I was kind of panicked about it. And then I, of course, over prepped everything, and it went fine. And I said an eighth of what I had prepared, and so. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I told them was, I, people have asked me before. I've never been a pastor, but they're like, what would be your plan for renewing a parish? And um, I always say, we need chal- you know, more chalice veils. And I'm sure <laughs> not that. What I say is, it's really just Eucharist and Mary. Like, that's, that's the church. There's a reason why Protestants rejected these two things, because they're really intimately and mysteriously tied together. Mm-hmm. The two main analogs that Paul says, when you're thinking about the church as a mystery, think of it as body and bride. Mm-hmm. So body is a Eucharistic vision of the church and bride is a marian one so this is what the church is somewhere there's this interplay between the eucharist not as kind of the the sunday kind of token we get to we get to take but as this this way by which the mode by which christ loves the father Mm -hmm. is eucharistic this kind of deep self-surrender eucharistic self-surrender and mary mary's fiat and mary the mystery of mary is the embodiment of that in a, in a receptive, feminine, and ultimately creaturely way. Mm. So that interplay of the nature of love as giftedness and reception between God and creation, but especially within the Trinitarian life, um, that's everything. That's what, that's where we got to get to with the church. Yeah. How you explain that to a five-year-old who's <laughs> signing up for car phones and stuff, I don't know. Car phones. But, but that's, that's what I, I think that Mary Mother of the Eucharist mm. devotion, and I don't know really when it came into prominence. Certainly John Paul II was talking about it, but... Um, there's always been a, a relationship between the two, but man, that just strikes at the heart of everything. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of John Paul II, I, I didn't know this. You, you, uh, you never told me this, which is interesting. I was told. So the JPG, St. John Paul the Great, the high school that we're working with, they had a table at our gala last night, um, and they wanted. To, they didn't win this image, this painting. I really wanted them to, because um, they were going to re-gift it to our chapel at the high school. You didn't tell me that the chapel, you named the chapel Mary Mother of the Eucharist. Right. Which against, is awesome. Against Larkin's 
wishes yeah oh i didn't know that was against well Larkin. tell tell jeff Cummer to you know <laughs> fork over some dough next year we just missed out on a priceless piece of art here priceless so, that's right um yeah that that is the that is the chapel which is beautiful um maybe uh two two extra comments about the image then we can kind of wrap it up with whatever else you want to talk about but uh at the top of the image you have mary during the Eucharist, and then just above her halo, uh, which, fun fact about her halo, uh, Brie painted the words of the Ave Verum Corpus, Hail, true body, and blood of Christ, mm-hmm. in Latin, so she uh, made that the halo, but then above that is the pelican, and uh, the pelican's always a symbol for the Eucharist, because a mother pelican will, uh, if she can't find food for her young, right, she'll peck her breast, uh, and wound herself essentially so that she can give her own flesh to her chicklets or whatever they're called, the baby pelicans to eat, which is an image for the Eucharist. Like God gives his, he wounds himself so that we can have flesh, his own flesh to, to feast upon. Um, and then there's some images of, of wheat and grapes up top. So anyways, you'll, you'll be able to see all this. We'll uh, send it out, but oh, that's magnificent. Yeah. Well done, Bree. Um, and well done to you as well. How'd you choose walnut? Walnut is a fun wood to work with. It has the tightest pores. Uh, so it just like the way it receives uh, stain makes it look really nice, I think. Um, it's also like one of the more expensive woods. I don't know necessarily why I chose walnut, but I think it's a beautiful wood. Very nice. Well, it's going to be, you. it's going to look great in somebody else's personal chapel and not John Paul the Great's high school chapel so <laughs> that's right no it, it it really is an amazing amazing piece and really worth meditating on um that kind of eucharistic heart of the church as mary is receiving it so the marian mode that we have to have towards the eucharist and i think that that's just a corrective to mm-hmm. this kind of almost technological thing that we talk about a lot with the liturgy of just getting everything exactly right and the you know novus ordo screwed everything up so we got to get everything right and it's just yeah. like well Maybe it's maybe we got to focus more on the mystery itself, the mystery of God's self-disclosure, and the, the Eucharist is the heart of everything. Yeah. So yeah, body and bride, I like that, and I think I mean I loved you would say this in class all the time of like the church would look more like the church if she looked more feminine, right? More like Mary. Mm-hmm. And who's the church, right? It's us. Like we are the Christ body. We are the body of Christ, and the more that we embody that Marian heart of surrender of fiat, the more that the church becomes the church. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, I think even there, like we still try to engineer it in a masculine way. At least I do. I'm just like, okay, today I'm just gonna like tell God I surrender ten times or whatever. It's just like, it's kind of just like we have to just live it out from the heart. We can't engineer it. We can't technologically try to achieve it. It happens uh, by a work of God within us. I think. I think it's a grace. It's a gift that the go- the Lord gives us. Absolutely. And the fiat Mary's fiat becomes the model of Catholic prayer. So it that it's beautiful to say prayers but but it's when the heart is transformed into that moment of just kind of letting things go mm-hmm. have you ever seen the handmaids um the religious order sister annunciata mm-hmm. when they pray the um angelus mm-hmm. they do this really beautiful thing where they kind of open their arms mm-hmm. at the fiat yeah be it done to me according to thy word and they just started doing it very naturally but it's it's this beautiful kind of feminine posturing of just kind of letting things go and i think mm-hmm. so many things in life were just gripping them we're trying to hold them and trying to possess them. Not just pain, but also good things. Sweet powder days. Sweet powder days. You can't possess powder. <laughs> it's the most gratuitous, freely given thing in, in creation. As I was skiing eight inches of fresh powder at Vail. It's so ridiculous. As I was laboring. And, and not at the gala. Not at the gala. But it's like, 
it, it's just the gift. Yeah. You just all you can do is receive. Yeah, and relish. Yep. Awesome. So there you go. Very nice. All right. Shout outs. Shout outs. Um, I like to shout out everyone who came to our gala. Gave so generously to our school. We have an amazing school and it wouldn't exist without our generous donors. Uh, particular shout out to Bree. Fun working with you on this project again. And um, we'll do another one next year, hopefully. We'll do a, a, a triptych of maybe a six-piece panel of your, your <laughs> traveling from Aspen to Vale. There you go. You six, know, encountering six a moose and then... You know, killing one of you, I don't know, the Steve five, Sayo or yeah. something like that. The five different huts, and then you have Vale. I love it. Um, we just got an icon of St. John Vianney that just arrived from Italy that was commissioned for the gala. So maybe we'll awesome. tie that into our next podcast. So we're so artsy these days. The SJV gala. The SJV gala. Which is, happens to be on St. Patrick's feast day. It does. It does. Very unfortunate, right? No, I was joking. Um, you have an Irish record. I'd like to retract um, a certain statement I made towards a certain Bernadette, not St. Bernadette, but Bernadette Prohaska texted us and was like, hey, what the heck? <laughs> you throwing my women's group under the bus. That was, ju- we were just, it was a demonstrative moment, just kind of expressing <laughs> it, but Bernadette is amazing and she's got a great name and she's certainly under the patronage and she does a lot for the parish. So shout out to her. You're great. And then also to Adam and Sarah Creer who uh, do listen to the podcast and support our Lady Lords as well and love your parish. So, that's right. it for me. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, hope you have a great Our Lady Lord's Feast Day. Pray for her intercession. Pray for the intercession of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Like us, subscribe, shout outs. Talk to you next week. Bye.